Welcome to the Infill Podcast, where we interview the most interesting members of the 3D printing and maker communities live and with audience participation. And now, here is your host, Jonathan Levy. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to uh, especially early or late, depending on where you are, edition of the Infill Podcast. My guest today is a really exciting one. We're going to talk about something that we have not talked about at all on the podcast yet, a technology we haven't talked about at all, but one which I think, hopefully, we'll see what our guest has to say, is going to be coming up a lot more when it comes to consumers, hobbyists, and that's metal 3D printing. So my guest today is Jonas Galle. We're going to have him pronounce his last name correctly. And he is from Valken. Jonas, welcome. I'm really excited to uh, talk about metal 3D printing. Now, let the audience hear how your name is supposed to be pronounced. Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. My name is Jonas Galle, but I'm, I'm fine with Jonas Galle or whatever. And that's easy to pronounce for you. So uh, Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome. I'm really excited to have you here today. We've spoken before about uh, metal 3D printing, and you guys have a really innovative technology that you've created to make metal 3D printing more accessible, easier, more cost-effective. I want to get into that, but first I really want to get into your journey with 3D printing. What is your background, education, career, and, uh, and how did you get into additive manufacturing? Yeah, I'll uh, try to make the, the short story because once I start uh, talking, I can talk for hours. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so first of all, uh, of all, I'm also a maker myself. I have an uh, education in electromechanical engineering. Um, and I'm yeah a, a guy that likes to do projects starting where other yeah, standard people are stopping. That's where I'm starting. So I really need challenges. And actually, this ID for uh, farming Falcon was one of the biggest challenges that I had at the moment, where I saw a lot of potential for uh, yeah economical uh, benefits, so to say. Um, so yeah, how I started the company basically is um, during my PhD. Um, so I was working on a topic totally not related to 3D printing uh, at first. I was, had a side project where I was working on a new type of rocket engine. Again, uh, a project with a lot of challenge. Um, nobody had done it before. So in any case, um, I was making all the parts myself as well because I want to, apart from inventing stuff, I want to do stuff myself as well. Right. Um, so to really realize how things are being made. Um, so I made all the parts myself, started on a lathe or a milling machine, um, yeah, you know, if you want to build a rocket engine, you want to send it in the air, it needs to be light. A rocket engine is, yeah, becomes very hot, so you need a lot of efficient cooling. Right. So those parts were very complex. And uh, I, I noticed using CNC machines and milling machines are not the way to do those things. Uh, so that's how I yeah, got in touch with 3D printing. Um, actually metal 3D printing and at that time, so I'm speaking about 2013, uh, metal additive manufacturing was yeah, still in early stage in terms of commercial um, deployments. Um, and there I noticed that um, they used powders and lasers, I mean powder bed fusion uh, technologies, um, which was very expensive um at that time and, and still is by the way 
so not really accessible for makers like me and um one thing you should know about me i'm, I'm still like a child and i don't know whether it's a good thing or not but uh, i always ask myself the question why i mean you also have children uh, right yes. uh, so I have uh, children i you, am a child yeah absolutely yeah exactly so asking a lot of why questions can be annoying for some people but anyway yeah. uh, you you get down to the basics and um, to understand why things are done uh, I never could find the right answer why, yeah, at that time people were using powders and lasers to, to, to build up metal parts, why it need to be like this. So that's why I started thinking about, yeah, why, why is no one else printing metals like they do with polymers? I mean, having a wire feed and, and printing in an FDM or FFF way. Um, so again, I never got that answer as well. So, you know, what I do if I don't get the answer is actually um, trying to find out myself. And that's basically uh, how I uh, got this idea of printing metals in a similar way as you do with polymers, but directly with the metal uh, in order to bring down the costs um, and, and really make it accessible wow. and deployable for industry. So that's in a nutshell. Okay, I have a lot of questions. So my first question is, what metals can can you print with this technology? Okay, so I'll answer that in two ways. Theoretically, uh, as a scientist, you can basically do any metal, mm -hmm. but um, the, the, the metals that makes most sense for this technology because you are melting it in an insulated printhead, so meaning the temperature levels should be able to, to reach, the, the print that should withstand. Um, so that makes most sense for non-ferro metals, meaning aluminum, copper, magnesium, silver and gold, but that's at the moment a bit too expensive to play with, but these are the, the type of metals that makes most sense okay. uh, to do with technology. So less steel and stuff like that. I guess my question is with the powders, what I don't even know with powders, can you print ferrous metals? Um, yes, but that's rather a pain in the ass. Um, th there are a lot of difficulties involved. So non-ferrous metals are typically highly reflective. So they don't like light or laser to be heated. Mm. That's one thing. Um, they are very oxidation reactive or put it in another way, explosive. So that's why it's not, you, wow. you need a lot of safety uh, features around it uh, to make it work. And those metals are, are also highly thermoconductive, meaning if you, yeah, you, you want to create in powder bed fusion a multiple on your, in your parts, meaning if it's highly thermoconductive, uh, you have to put way much more heat. It's like um, filling your bathtub with the plug open. So yeah, you right. pour in water, but it's going away. So it's not efficient in that way. And it can cause a lot of stresses and cracking in your parts uh, in that sense. Interesting. Okay. So these metals, uh, I don't even know, like, what is the melting point of aluminum? What temperature do you print aluminum at when you're FFF printing it? Yeah. So um, the melting trajectory is in the range of 550 up to 660 okay. degrees. Degrees. So. You will burn your hands, that's for sure. <laughs> that's not as bad as I thought. I mean, I know uh, 
I know that's on the lower end for metals, but it's not as bad as you would think. It's only three times what you're printing, you know, ABS or something like that. Two, two and a half to three times. That's not that crazy. I mean, right now, like I have printers with a hot end that can go up to 500. So it's not, it's not unheard of, right? Um, Correct. Now I know you guys have a proprietary technology. There's a lot of secret sauce there. So tell me if I poke somewhere that I shouldn't, but like, how do you achieve that temperature? It's obviously not, or is it like, it's not a ceramic heater block, I would assume. Well, first of all, getting to this temperature is not uh, the rocket science. And that's also not the secret. So in the end, yeah, th 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 that's not the IP. So I can tell you about this. We, we are using resistive heating. Um, the, okay. But of course, the, 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 the materials of the printhead should not react with the metal. Because metals, when molten, they are very reactive. And, and when it reacts, it starts to form all kind of chemical elements that eventually will clog your whole system. And that's not what you want. So the difficulty is in finding the right materials. But also the big difference between metals and polymers is that when you melt metals, it is like water. So, and that's not the case with polymers. And, th and th that's why... Uh, from, we, we know several companies tried that, but they, they struggled with the fact that the physics between liquid metals and polymers are totally different. Right. So it's not it just, just changing out. the wire. Sorry? And, and the metal would just drip out as soon as it... I mean, there's no retraction exactly. when you're dealing with a liquid. Exactly, exactly. Huh. Um, so, 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 so that's the trick how to, to do it. It's not just changing... The, the, the polymer to metal and heating it up to higher temperature. If it was like that, I, I would, yeah, that's, that's not enough challenge for me, so to say. You could have saved yourself a PhD. I imagine that some of it, again, tell me, tell me when I, I poke where I shouldn't, but I imagine that some of it has to do with heating it at exactly the right time in the right place, right? Like you want it, if, you know, in a traditional 3D printer, it's really important to have the heat break and the, the kind of cool, what we call the cool area and the hot area, here that's going to be compressed down much more. You don't want to melt the metal up more and have it just all drip out. Um, yeah, you see, you're starting to book a lot of the IP stuff. So <laughs> it's, it has to do, that, that's not, that will not solve all the problems. Um, right. I can tell you, it, it's, it's more than that. Right. That's all I want to give away on this one. Now we have one person in the audience already asking questions and you guys feel free to submit questions. That's why we do this live. Uh, <coughs> Howell wants to know how you deal with the gases that come out of it. I mean, we know printing polymers, obviously you're, you're also, depending on the polymer, you're getting some gases coming out. With metals, I imagine, as you said, there's all kinds of reactive elements coming out. A lot of nasty stuff, depending on what you're printing. Uh well, first, naughty question to, to that person, what gases, basically? Um, honestly, so if you do welding, indeed, you see a lot of fumes and smoke coming out because mm -hmm. you are using plasma or laser with a, a locally a very high temperatures, reaching over 3,000 degrees. And mm -hmm. when you reach those temperatures, a lot of alloying elements even aluminum is, is evaporating on those temperatures and magnesium as well. Um, 
the problem or the problem the good thing about how we do it is that we are way much um, we are using way much lower temperatures so we right. are below 1000 degrees meaning that we are belowing any evaporation of alloying elements and at the moment we actually we have R&D setups that are in open atmosphere where there is no really? fumes coming off well i guess aluminum is a very very clean metal unlike you know alloyed metals uh, steel which you're you're making different alloys and adding additives Aluminum is just aluminum. It's very clean, I would think. Um, well, uh, actually, you have um, a lot of aluminum alloys. So it's like right. steel. It's alloyed with elements and to, to give the, the, the right properties for mm. either the manufacturing method or, or for the, the functional part. So it also contains a lot of even iron isn't there. Um, really? So, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Huh. Okay, that's very interesting. So if you're at these lower temperatures, does, does strength suffer in the same way that a 3D printed part is going to have uh, suffered strength versus a cast, uh, you know, injection molded part? Yeah, so when you look to, to strength, apart from looking to the, the type of alloy you're using, um, so the, 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 the strength and properties, one of the key um parameters that are, are determining this is the cool down rates. So uh, um, to make the comparison, we are between casting and, um, and, and welding, um, meaning that if you go to grain structures, that the, the, the grain structure of casting are, are more coarse and for welding because of the, the high cooling rates they are more fine, meaning that uh, the, the finer you go, the stronger you are, but the, also the more brittle you are. Um, so, so that's one thing. On the other hand, if you have high cooling rates, you can have a lot of solidification cracking. And that's why some alloys uh, for aluminum uh, are not weldable. Um, and, and as we are working at lower temperatures, uh, lower cool down rates, several of these alloys are printable by our technology. So, yeah, does that make sense? If, if I talk too, too much in detail, uh, let me know. And, uh, well, but I think it's also a matter of like, um, there are specific things, like you said, with rocket engines, I know you can just design things with additive that can literally not be made any other way. So really, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not about like, okay, is this stronger than traditional manufacturing? It's either this part is made with additive or we can't design the product this way. Um, yes, the, the, the whole picture should fit for the application. So um, in, in conventional milling, yeah, it, it could be stronger, but there, are, there could also be places where it's too strong for the functionality. So yeah. if you can remove that, so the, the additive is less strong, but you, you can still be efficient enough to, to uh, fulfill the, the, the properties of this, that, that part. Um, it, it all depends on the application, uh, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you talked about aerospace and stuff like that. I, I guess I want to understand, I mean, what is, what is the product, the technology that you're making? Are you guys developing full printers? Are you developing hot ends? What does this look like as, as the kind of vision and technology roll out? Yeah, yeah. So. 
we developed the technology and how we commercialize this is by um, making at this point a full printer but we also provide the, the print head so the hot end so to say because that's where the ip is and that's how yeah it, it makes the technology work so this is at the moment we, we are going um yeah how big are these printers um it's like a you know an american fridge like a smack fridge yeah, it's yeah. Uh, somehow the same size uh, um, um yeah and is that just because of the requirement of the parts or is it because there's, you know, electronics and things that you need to power this thing that take up a ton of space? Well, like what is the well, build volume uh, ratio yeah, to yeah. size? At this moment, the build volume is like a shoe box, uh, shoe okay. box size. So it's a lot but of electronics it, and, and kind um, of equipment, cooling equipment, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, everything is in there. Indeed, uh, the, the whole the, it's an industrial machine. So meaning uh, the whole PLC system, it takes, takes uh, space. We have a chiller in there as well. Uh, the wire feeding. So we use wire spools of seven kilograms. So that yeah. also That's takes uh, up space. space. Um, yeah, indeed. But, but in the end, the yeah, the, the limitation is not the build phone because if you put a print head on a robotic arm, then yeah, the, the parts becomes much bigger, so it's scalable um, at that sense. I um, so we start off with a, a first machine of that size to really demonstrate the the, the, the yeah the potential and the, the capabilities of our technology. So let's run with that potential technology. You know, a few years forward, technology has a habit of things getting much much smaller, more compact. But at the same time, laws of physics are laws of physics, right? Things like thermodynamics are not going to change in the way that you know a microprocessor can get smaller so i guess the first question i had when you said eventually we want to commercialize by doing print heads is like is there any future in which i can this is going to sound crazy but don't laugh at me is there any future in which i can buy a kit with the electronics and whatnot and swap one of your print heads onto my voron and print metal well, um, it's it's not a crazy question because if if I go back to my rocket uh, uh, project, that was a hobby project, meaning I wanted to make that myself, and I needed a metal printing technology in order to do that. So initially, really, in the, the real beginning, I wanted to have a desktop metal printer. Right. So yes, uh, it, it's scalable. It's like you have uh, polymer printers of uh, 40,000 euros and printers of 200 euros. Basically, they are doing the same. The same with CNC machines, uh, 300,000 euros. And you have, I have a CNC machine at home of 5,000 euros. And basically, they do exactly the same mill stuff. So and, and th th that's the thing about our technology, we believe it's scalable on, on a lot of levels um, and bringing it down towards, uh, uh, yeah, hobby maker uh, is, is a possibility. It's all about how is it economically on our roadmap? That, that's basically that the question. Really interesting right and exciting. I mean, I, I imagine it's, it's not going to be as simple as changing a print head, right? You need the power. The big thing that cries out to me is like power supply can i get can i reach those temperature i probably would have to use a special plug i mean most houses now have uh, 
what's it called? Three phase. I think in English you call it three phase electricity, like high power draws. I mean, I now have a plug for an electric car. So like, I imagine that I could power this printer, but it's going to be like switching out the power supplies and probably the ABS parts have to go. You know, I have one of my Vorons that's actually machined out of aluminum, all the parts. So that could work. But, you know, this one here off camera, a lot um, of the parts are going to melt. <laughs> well, actually, um, you you don't you don't need a lot of power. Uh, I'll give you an example. What is it? How much power do you need to um, to melt tungsten, for example? Do you? I would say like 500 watts or something, at least. I don't know. I can do it with five watts. Look at the light bulb, for example. That's also tungsten and it glows. So it's all about how much volume you want right. to. Yeah, indeed. So at this moment, our printer uh, in our labs, in nominal um, situation, they consume uh, with, with the computer stuff in total 1.3 kilowatts. I mean, that's less than your water cooker. So That's we crazy. have just, yeah, yes. Uh, oh, uh, wait, well, I was assuming, I guess, that you need to heat the chamber and that you need to heat the bed for adhesion. Do you not have to heat the bed for adhesion? Yeah, yes, we do. So ah. the installed power for the print hat in the system is one kilowatts and the bed is 800 watts. There we go. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a bit installed power of even less than your water cooker of two kilowatts. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, that, I'm glad that my assumption of like, okay, the you know, melting the little filament of metal, fine, but then keeping that thing hot. Do you have to print in a heated uh, chamber? Because I know, as you said, the cooling speed is so important. Like what temperature do you, does a chamber have to get at to print an aluminum alloy? Um, yeah, it depends on the alloy. Uh, even for the alloy that we started off with, which is a normal welding alloy, um, we print an open atmosphere, meaning that there is no active heating. Uh, mm -hmm. If you want to go to more engineering alloys, um, yeah, we are using the heat of the bats, uh, meaning that the chamber is rated for 250 degrees uh, Celsius. Fascinating. Okay, I have so many questions about this, Jonas. Do so in, in, in the weekends, you can actually use it for your pizza making stuff. Totally. <laughs> It's, it's a bit overrated, but anyway. <laughs> what about software? Did you guys like fork an existing slicer or did you have to engineer new software? Like, does it use the same kind of slicing algorithms with just higher temperatures and adjusting cooling times? Um, we started off from existing uh, FDM software, that's for sure. Uh, the algorithms, yeah, they as the, the physics between metals and polymers are totally different, um, we cannot just use one-on-one -on -one, uh, the algorithm, so it's modified for, for the, the metal. But in the end, if you look at it, the G-codes or the codes that are being sent to the printer, they look the same with some additional process parameters. But sure. yeah. in the end, Imagine the overhangs are very different. Bridging is probably non-existent in metal 3D printing, I, I would have to assume. Um, actually, I don't have a part here. Actually, it's easier to do over, uh, overhangs and bridging. And I'm telling you why. That, and that's all about the difference in physics between polymers and metals. So the, the pain in the ass of metals is that it's liquid. But the right. good thing is that once it solidifies, it gets a certain strength. 
while in right. polymers it stays like yeah fluffy or blubby or how you say that without strength for a long time and that allows us to make very high overhangs without support structures so we can i mean have a, a part i don't know if you see that oh this is an, an overhang of 75 degrees which we did without support structures um that's so, mind-blowing what's the layer height there it looks very tall layer heights yeah um this is about one millimeter layer height yeah that's incredible you would think the opposite i would think that the second that there's nothing under the liquid would just leak out but i guess that really speaks to how incredibly quickly after it's exiting the nozzle you're cooling well, the, the liquid metal is always in contact with the nozzle and the parts. So that's how you can actually, um, yeah, 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 push, uh, the, the, uh, and control actually how the metal is being deposited. So you have a lot of forces like adhesion, cohesion stuff that is actually keeping the, the, the liquid in place. Uh, and surface cooling tension. I was thinking I that basically. But then it's surface tension. One one part of it is a solid, and but I guess water has surface tension on the edge of a table as well. It's kind of like I guess your overhang is like when you have a countertop and water drips on it, and then the the yeah, yeah, last exactly. drop just sticks there. This yeah, is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. This is absolutely fascinating just to think about. I mean, because I've seen uh, at Formnext last year, I saw someone three D printing silicone, which was really cool, and. Uh, Joel just put out a video about 3D printing glass. It's so fast. I think one would, if you didn't think <coughs> about it and you just made the assumption, you'd immediately go to like, okay, you melt something, it turns into a liquid. But actually, polymers don't really turn into a liquid. And so that's, that's why 3D printing plastic, it's actually not that 3D printing metal is different. It's that 3D printing plastic is different from everything else. Glass turns into a viscous liquid, but it, at a certain temperature, it becomes. No, I guess you're right. Glass is pretty liquid. Well, it, you know what the, I'm saying? the thing when it's not liquid, you you have somehow better control. You can push it, squeeze right. it, squeeze it, and so on. When right. it's liquid, it's yeah. It it can if you don't have it in control, it flows away, and that that's what makes it hard printing metals in an FDM way. Um, and some people tried it to, to work in the, uh, um, the, the Tixo zone of metals, meaning that in the phase between real liquids and, and solids, like it becomes, yeah, they call it mushy. Um, you also have that zone, but that zone is very narrow. So it's, it's a very narrow operation um, window. That's one thing. And still you need fusion with the layer below. So yeah, the energy is coming from from the deposited material. If you are in that small zone, you have not enough energy to remelt the previous layer. So it, when you do liquids, uh, liquid metals, it it should contain enough. It should be fully liquid so that you can use that energy to to remelt the previous layer. Fascinating. I hit the wrong key here, and then I lost the video. So we have some great questions coming in. I'm going to save some of these questions. Uh, let's see. Make sure I save them. I want to ask before we get into um, some of these questions in the in the chat. What was the biggest challenge in developing this technology? Um, so, from a technology point of view, um, 
actually uh, we had all the trouble that the other companies also had so like clogging uh, a material that flows out of the nozzle um, so it, because it's all about what you put in should come out as well and if that's not in balance you never know how how much you are depositing so that, that was basically the the biggest challenge mm-hmm. um that eventually led to our uh, patents um that, to make it work awesome and okay for- we have to take a quick second to thank our sponsor uh which is pc and it, for those of you who don't know pcb way is talking about industrial manufacturing and fab Unfortunately, Valken doesn't yet offer a uh, desktop metal 3D printer for us, but if you do need to get something 3D printed out of metal, CNC machined, injection molded, MJF industrial printed, sheet metal fabrication, milled, literally anything, you can get that done on PCBWay. They offer incredible pricing, fast prototyping, fast service, fast shipping. I mean, look at this, 3D printing, CNC machining, injection molding. You can choose the aluminum alloy. You can get it painted in whatever color you want. So until Valken is able to sell me an upgrade kit for my Voron to 3D print metal at home, make sure to check out PCBWay for all of your wonderful projects that I hope you all are working on. All right, we're back. Maybe um, we could cooperate with PCB ways. I don't know. It could be. I have a feeling life. that they would love to buy uh, buy a bunch of equipment from you guys because they do uh, metal three D printing, and I'm sure they're spending a lot more money on those uh, machines. Let me pull up. Uh, let's see some of these great questions. So, uh, sweet as dude asks, uh, I'm thinking replacement parts for old cars and bikes. Is there much machine work that needs to be done on these parts to make them ready? Yeah, yeah. So it's a it's a layer based uh, technology uh, like FDM. So if you have uh, needs proper mating and so on, this is one. This is a coarse part we actually printed, and we have machined uh, a part afterwards to make the fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it depends what 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 it, what what the function is of the part. If you need the sealing surface, yes, you have to mill. If you have mating, yes. If you need uh, screws and threads uh, in there, yeah, you have to uh, post uh, uh, process right. that. And is the reason that you have one millimeter layer speed, or is it just the technology hasn't gotten there to where you can do like a 0.2 millimeter layer? Yeah, so th- this is where we started with the current nozzles. So a layer height between 0.7 to one millimeters with a, no- a-, a width of uh, 1.5 up to 2.5 with a single nozzle. Yep. Um, we want to, or we are developing to go down to a wall thickness of 0.5 millimeters. So that will be a layer height of 0.2, 0.3 millimeters. Amazing. So it, it, uh, actually we also, so, so this is a five millimeter wall thickness, okay. um, with a layer height of two, two millimeters, but then we have to change nozzle. And we did also demonstration of a nozzle hole diameter of seven millimeters, meaning for really beefy tracks, uh, but that's, that's for fascinating. Uh, what that scaling actually? So. What kind of uh, material are you? I mean, are these like diamond nozzles or? <clears throat> Again, sensitive. Um, what I can okay. No, no, we are working with ceramic nozzles. Uh, that, that's something okay. I can review. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Okay, Carl Ald wants to know. He's got his credit card out. Uh, how long? What is the time frame, if you had to guess, 
for desktop metal 3D printers? Oh, that is a, a very good question. At the moment, our roadmap is more towards industrial um, application, uh, industrial um, printing. So that will not before 2028, to be honest. That's not that long. It's not, well, until that time, we're really focusing on industrial uh, systems. And we have a lot of um, pivot points or milestones in our roadmap where we decide based on the market request, what is the best way to go. Yeah. Um, so Fascinating. Um, Shane Howell wants to know what material uh, those two different pieces you showed us are. What materials? Um, so this is the, the welding alloy, um, 4043, or aluminum silicium 5, uh, if, if that answered the question. Uh, Very cool. And the follow-up question from Jax McIntosh. Uh, he wants to know what material cost looks like for metal filament. Like what is a seven kilo spool cost of this material? Yeah, so those uh, welding alloys are readily available. Uh, typical costs for these are uh, 120 uh, euros for one spool. So in, in small amounts, when you Google, eBay, whatever, um, th that's the cost of these. 120 um, for a seven kilo spool? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really true. cheap. Um, yes, it's, it's what you pay for welding uh, aluminum, yes. That's like cheaper than PLA filament. Um, yes, um, but I think with PA, PLA filament, it's also a, a commercial uh, business model behind it. Yeah. Welding is more, um, more, more, um, how to say, uh, more general, um, so less niche maybe. Uh, but if you yeah. want to go to, uh, to, to, to other alloys, yeah, they become more expensive. Uh, when sure, you go to ice at yeah. 17 US dollars a kilo, that's cheaper than any 3D printer filament. I mean, you can buy in bulk, right? You can get PLA from Sunlu for 10 bucks a kilo. But like, if you're buying seven kilos, you're going to pay about the same price, about 15 to $17 a kilo. That's yeah. like really surprising. Um, yes, what can I say about this? Yeah, it's... That's not a secret. I mean, if you Google, you, you find it's welding wire for aluminum. This alloy is, is somehow, yeah, that's that price. Fascinating. Okay. I'm scrolling through all these, uh, I'm scrolling through all these comments cause I fell behind. Bruce Gillingham wants to know, are you looking for beta testers? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we, we, we have, at the moment, uh, several industrial beta testers in the pipeline. Um, so they will do field testing. Yeah, we are looking for that. Very, very interesting. So right now you have this one machine that's really proving the technology and you guys are looking to commercialize that. What does the machine cost, this refrigerator size machine? Yeah, uh, so at the moment, the list price is 250,000 uh, 250, euros. Um, wow, that's so, not a lot. And uh, important to know, um, because a lot of people say, yeah, okay, you have powder bed fusion machines at the same price. Um, yes, but no, because uh, for our price, it's, it's basically ready to print. You don't have to change your environment, make it uh, Artex proof. 
Uh, also, the, the, the feedstock material is uh, easy to handle. You don't need to have right. all sorts of extra equipment. So that's also very important to, to, to know. Wow. That's fascinating. And I guess the, the ideal customer right now is probably like aerospace or automotive manufacturers. It's mostly for prototyping, I, I guess. We didn't talk about how long it takes. To, I mean, what are printing speeds like? But I imagine it's not very fast. Um, so, Adam, our goal is to bring metal additive manufacturing towards industrial level, meaning for serial production as well. So, so th th that's where we want to go. This first machine, okay, we are, it's a new technology, it needs to be proven. So people are now used to ma do metal printing for prototyping. Mm -hmm. So that's why uh, the first machine focuses on uh, functional parts, uh, but not yet on the serial production. That will be the, the next generation machine. Uh, so in terms of printing speeds, uh, to give you an idea, this part, um, so that's a diameter of 150 was printed in one hour, 45 minutes, something like that. Are you kidding me? Um, that's so, really, so, really fast. Yeah. If, if you're the same parts with part of bed fusion, you are at least uh, 12 hours away uh, for printing. So that's crazy yeah. fast. Huh. Yes. Indeed. So, that, so huh. that's one way to make things affordable uh, in terms of serial production. It's focused bringing down the cost of the, 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 the manufacturing process, but also increasing the speed, uh, reducing the feedstock yeah, issues, meaning cost and the handling. And also the level of automation is very important because at the moment we are printing on very thin substrates and the parts can actually just be broken off like you do with a, a polymer printer. So all these things can be automated. You don't have to clean uh, away powders, you have very much less support structures. So all this whole story makes it feasible to bring down the, the, the industrial cost of metal additive manufacturing. This is all wild to me, like all of my preconceptions about what this technology is, how much it's going to cost, uh, how it actually works, almost all wrong. Um, do, do what? I have a theory about what I think the biggest hurdle is right now, but I'd love to hear from your perspective, like what's the biggest hurdle in getting more and more companies to adopt this? Actually, you gave already the answer because you said, I, I didn't believe that. So what's not, we, we do totally something different. People are biased by, yeah, metal printing is too expensive, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's true at the moment because the way how things are being done, I mean, uh, those technologies, uh, part of bed fusion and so on, they can do awesome parts, incredible parts, maybe parts that we will never be able to do. But like a resin yeah. printer versus an FDM printer. Yeah, exa exactly, exactly. So each have their own niche, but bringing it really to industrial level, um, and we we'll, we'll also have our niches. We think fundamental changes need to be made in the technology, and it's. So the cost for, for laser and powder based it goes down, but we have the feeling it's it's really working in the in the margins. So the only way to be disruptive is disruptively changing the way how things are being done. And that's what we have done with our yeah. technology um, to make the point. I really think, yeah, the the 
the best metaphor as i understand it is just resin 3d printing versus fdm like yes resin can get you better quality parts that are more polished but you have to do all these processes all this post-processing you have to have the right environment for it whereas you know an fdm printer you can like it's it's relatively <coughs> part is ready it's not as polished uh, it may or may not be stronger depending on the resin and the material but it's just ready to go without needing a special room for it yeah uh, exactly and uh, we have applications as well where the layered features are are actually featured they want it they want to pay more for that it's not because it looks layered that it's really bad and you need post processing it's not true in every case and also you don't need to do it it's like sand casting as well it also has a rough texture and for a lot of applications only a couple of surfaces that really needs mating sealing whatsoever needs to be post processed that's and a lot of people are too much biased uh, uh, by that that is very very fascinating do you get any chance to do any FDM 3D printing for prototyping, stuff like that, or you guys are just focused on metal? Um, uh, at the moment, we are focused on metals, um, although uh, we are speaking to a lot of research institutes and there they have um, departments that are working with high temperature polymers like PEAK, yeah. uh, for example. And yeah, what we have is an... Uh, an overkilled FDM printer uh, with an environment that is suitable for also doing those uh, peak uh, sure. material. But sure. so they're up to done. Uh, we, we focus on the metals. So what uh, commercial through, I mean, you guys are obviously an engineering, you know, company, so you're doing some prototyping. What kinds of 3D printing equipment besides the stuff that you've built do you guys use uh, whether it's scanners, 3D printers, resin, like what what kind of gear do you guys use to develop your own products? Uh, well, we have uh, FDM printers uh, for sure. Which um, ones? We, also, uh, we have uh, the Ultimaker and the Prusa um, okay. printers. Um, that's, that's a need for uh, quick prototyping. We also have some conventional machines um, uh, for, for doing stuff. And actually, you know, we also use powder bed fusion technology for in our commercial printers. I mean, cool. we, we know the value of 3D printing and we are using that. Uh, so again, that's why we still like those technologies. Uh, we use it where it makes most sense, of course. Very, very interesting. Well, Jonas, I've really enjoyed learning from you. Uh, it, I guess I would encourage people to check you guys out just out of interest. Obviously, most people in the audience are probably not going to buy one of these machines, but how can we uh, learn more and how can we support you? Uh, I, I know one person said they want to be a beta tester, maybe if they're you know at a company, an engineer. So uh, what information should we put in the description below if people want to get in touch or just learn more about Balkan? Yes, well, definitely our website. Um, we try to keep uh, our progress updated there as well on LinkedIn. And that's where we frequently uh, post uh, things, stuff about the update. So these are the, the, yeah, the, the, the biggest channels, how to reach us. And uh, feel free awesome. to contact us uh, through the website. The email will come to us anyway. And so, awesome. yeah. 
Well, I really enjoyed this episode. I learned a lot, and uh, it's just really, really cool to see what's coming down the pike. So uh, I want to thank you for your time. No problem. Thanks for having me, and uh, good luck with the other episodes. uh, Thank you. All right. I'm going to take us out. Thanks for tuning in to the Infill Podcast. For show notes or links to anything mentioned in today's episode, visit thenextlayer.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening or click the like button to let us know and consider subscribing to The Next Layer on YouTube so you can tune in live and participate in the next conversation. We'll see you on The Next Layer.